Parshas Kiseitzei. This parsha is jam-packed with mitzvahs, tens and tens and tens of mitzvahs. It is therefore easy to get caught in the thicket of it all, to lose sight of the forest in the trees. Our focus in each and every parsha is to trace the overarching theme the unifying idea which permeates the parsha pervasively. What is the overall idea of Parshas Kisetze? Now, in tonight's year, we will not go through every single mitzvah and explain how it fits this theme. But what we will do is compellingly develop a framework within a parsha, so to speak, peeling back the bricks and the cement make out the conceptual scaffoldings and the structure of the parsha to see where it all fits in, and thus we will have that big picture, that panoramic view, which we so arduently seek. So, let's begin at the beginning. The parsha begins, Ki al-Alevecha, when you go out to war. Continuing the focus of last week's parsha, which also spoke about kiseitzi when you go out to war, but here it introduces a particular mitzvah, the mitzvah of Yafas Tawar, that if the Jewish shoulder is lured, is overcome by lust to the foreign daughter, to the young woman of the enemy, and takes her captive and lusts her, the Torah finds a procedure how he could move forward. A kosher approach had a deal with his lust. And this is, of course, a very dramatic mitzvah. The Torah finding an approach how a person can deal with his Yetzirah. It is an almost scandalous situation. You think about a Tyre Yid on the battlefield who suddenly finds himself, due to battlefield conditions, uh, the animalizing of... Anashama, which is war, the harshness of the conditions, the loneliness from his own wife and family, and all the other phenomena, why he would be attracted to this young woman on the other side. And the Torah does not castigate him. The Torah finds a way to deal with him. I would suggest as the first mitzvah in the parsha, this is leading us somewhere. Something about even the very phrase kiseitze becomes very powerful now. Kiseitze, when you go out, when you go out to war, but more broadly, when you go out, when you leave the pristine environment, you are no longer in a spiritual comfort zone. You have a Jewish soldier not only in war, but you have a Jewish soldier who has lost his spiritual virtue. And the message is, Torah is equally relevant. The Torah speaks not only within the cloisters, the hallowed halls of the base Medrash. The Torah addresses when we are out on a battlefield. The Torah addresses when we are coping with lust and all the other real world issues. That, would, that, that to me would be a very inviting perspective. Now the very words Kiseitze, beyond simply a description he goes out to war, has a suggestive connotation, 
And I'm going to suggest more than a homily if we can continue to trace in our parish both the phrase kiseitse and the issue kiseitse as we're developing, leaving spiritual comfort zones, then this message will take on gravitas, will take on textual integrity. Well, as we continue to learn through our parsha, right in the middle of the parsha, we again have both the phrase kiseitse the phenomenon of going out to war, and the same idea of leaving spiritual comfort zones, because the middle of the parsha speaks about it. When your army camp goes out against the enemy, you see that phrase kiseitse I have up here on the screen? Kiseitse. It's that term kiseitse, it's the same war zone situation, kiseitse machana aloivecha. And what does it deal with here? Avoid bad situations. The Torah goes on to say, ensure there's hygiene in the Jewish camp, there's latrines, ensure that if a Jewish soldier becomes tame ritually impure, he goes to mikvah, i.e., do not allow a Jewish army camp to totally lose its dignity due to circumstances. We all know what happens in army camps. We all know what happens with soldiers' conduct. The very fact they talk about a sailor's language. And mind you, the Navy was the most dignified of the branches of American service. I've had relatives who served in the Navy. But nonetheless, we all know what happens to a a bunch of young male soldiers in the frightful conditions of war. Well, a Jewish army camp, despite the situations, has to maintain itself. Hygiene, latrines, purifying themselves from Tumah. Well, that's compelling. That's compelling in terms of the larger Kiseitse message, the reappearance of the phrase Kiseitse, the reappearance of the situation at war, and again, the concept of a Torah which speaks not to the spiritual idyllic, to the dreamy world of a happily ever after where everyone's a big tzaddik and everyone is in the base medrash. No, Kiseitse, you're dealing with spiritually compromised circumstances. You're at war. And soldiers would potentially leave exposed, you'll excuse me, feces. Their bodily functions would be less. And the Torah has to deal with even such matters. And ritual purity and the maintenance... There's a Torah for how we deal with kiseitse, war going out, kiseitse, leaving spiritual comfort zones. Here in the middle of the parsha, the confluence of all of these, the kiseitse, the war, and the Torah addressing compromised conditions, aesthetically is pleasing. In the middle of the parsha, so to speak, pulling the thread along, this is what the parsha is all about. And as we segue from the middle of the parsha to the, the very final passage in the parsha, our pattern becomes complete. Because the parsha ends, of course, with the mitzvah of Zechiras Maisa Amalek, remembering what Amalek did to us. Zechiras Asher Aslacha Amalek Batarach Mitzrayim. Remember what Amalek did on your way out of Mitzrayim. This is, again, a battle like situation, a skirmish with an enemy. And it uses the term kiseitse as in bitseischem, when you left Mitzrayim, when you were on the road, when you were not in your comfort zone, you were vulnerable on the road. And it is an encounter with Amalek. It is leaving spiritual comfort zones. It is the entire concept that Judaism is not 
simply an enterprise for the rarefied environment. But it is an enterprise when you have to face down real threats, physically and spiritually, everything Amalek represents. So here we have it all together. In the beginning, middle, and end of the parsha, perfect pattern. It's a parsha about kiseitze, betzeischem, leaving, encountering enemies, a Torah which deals with the realities, not the dreamy world of Olam Haba, but the real world of Olam Hazan, the recognition that these challenging situations, which might seem God-forsaken, are in fact to be converted into the consummately divine, that it is struggles in life, failings. Think about the soldier's lust in the beginning of the parsha and going about one's Yetzirah's, one's spiritual, we'll call them failings or challenges, Tyra Digley, well, hence these situations become opportunities of Kedusha. Rather than resenting these life conditions, we can tour them to be sacred zones of Kedusha from which we grow. That, I suggest, is the grand framework of Kiseitse now becoming apparent as we're peeling away the layers and we're making out the scaffoldings, the framework, textually speaking, of the way the parsha is coming together, beginning, middle, and end. From this perspective, all sorts of other mitzvahs in the parsha fit right into place. This is the parsha that deal, deals with such sordid subjects as onus, when one physically exploits a young girl. It's the parsha that deals with mamzer. You know, the fact that there are those unions which are not, one would like to believe don't happen, but they happen, and the proof is in the pudding, the chickens come home to roost. Quite literally, a child is born from it, and there's nowhere to run or hide, nowhere to put our face, our heads in the sand and ignore that Yiddishkeit has to face the sordid unwanted. This is the parsh that deals with marriage ending in divorce, the parsh of Gerashin, and the attempts, Machser Gusha, so questions can, in given situations, can that tear be resowed? Well, all of this stuff, this, now we understand, is the story of Kiseitze. Tyra dealing with when we leave our comfort zones. And I think of something which I heard in my childhood when Rav Palm was once quite upset with the way some divorces were handled. We know some divorces are bitter due to the very deep-seated resentments and the like. You're dealing with that most intimate, that most personal area of life, obviously. So he saw in front of his eyes how so often the two exes and their families engage in outright warfare, bury the other side. And Rav Khan said, there's a terrible way to divorce and move on, right? Beinadam Chaveru doesn't suddenly fall by the wayside because somebody's heart was broken, right? That is the theme of our parsha. There's a Torah addressing the things we don't want to believe happen, but it is actually much of life, and there's a Torah way to do it, including Ma'anes, 
mamzer, and all of these sort of things. I would suggest yet another mitzvah, which in the parasha, which now thematically weaves right in, is the mitzvah of yibam in our parasha, leveret marriage, the notion that when someone dies and there's no progeny, the, the brother of the deceased marries the widow and thereby keeps the memory of the deceased going. Now, we've discussed in the past the power and the symbolism of the mitzvah of yibam. The mitzvah of Yibam is responding to the situation of all hope lost. Now, even when someone dies, when they leave behind progeny, there's continuity, there's continuation. When someone dies halilah without children, it seems like all hope is lost. Right? You know, I call this the dead-end syndrome. I am want to explain the dead-end syndrome based on a landmark in my hometown here in Baltimore. The corner of Reisterstown and Mount Wilson Lane when I was a child, had a sign that said, locals will appreciate this, natives will appreciate this, dead end. Because, of course, if you turn from Reisterstown onto Mount Wilson, it's a dead end. One fine day, I noticed, it no longer says dead end. They install another sign that says no outlet. And it did not take me long to understand why. Sal Levinson's, the funeral home, moved to the foot of that intersection between Mount Wilson and Reisterstown. So it would disturb the galante etiquette to have the phrase dead end when people are at a funeral of a Hamaven Yavin. Now, joking aside, joking about such matters certainly aside, Yibam is responding to that horror of dead end. Someone has died, and it seems like there's real, it's really end here. They've reached the end of their rope, quite literally. There's no progeny. And the Torah says, no, even when all hope seems lost, the Rebbe Hashem is going to find a way to overcome hopelessness. Yibam, which is so out of the box. The Rebbe Hashem even utilizing a relationship that otherwise would be forbidden and incestuous, Eishasach, in terms of the brother of the deceased having union with his former sister-in-law. But the Torah finds a way even through otherwise scandalous means to find hope amidst morosis. But this is the power of Yibam and its theme. And you've recalled in the past we've studied that this explains why Yibam is a constant phenomenon in the birth of Malchus based David and the Mashiach. Whether the Yehuda and Tamar relationship, whether the Lod and his daughter's relationship, whether the Rus and Boaz story and other examples we studied how you have Yibam, conceptual Yibam, again and again in the birth of the Mashiach. Because the Mashiach is all about redemption and renewed hope. Yibam represents that. Returning to our parsha, why is Yibam in our parsha? Well, now we understand. The whole theme of our parsha is it is a Torah which is not addressing the innocent, dreamy world that we might think exists when we are children and we very quickly learn does not exist. It's the parsha about Kisaitzis. When you leave comfort zones, scandals happen, hearts are broken, divorce. Death, and I think of what my daughter once told me, that she found many of the from books deal with a bunch of Ds. Divorce, death, dysfunction, yeah? So you have all those Ds in the parsha that my daughter spoke about. Death, divorce, dysfunction. But there's a tyro way to go about it. The Torah finds a path forward amidst all of those Ds. It's a tyro of Kiseitzeh.
I would suggest there's another aspect to this whole subject about a Torah way to deal with the non-ideal. And this relates directly to that statement which I mentioned from Rav Palm when he spoke about exes and divorced branches of families relating to each other civilly. Dealing with the issues, the alimony and the child support and all the stuff which has to be dealt with, but dealing with it in a terrific fashion. It's really the notion that even when one is interacting with difficult people, we try to find the humanity in the other side and deal with them humanely. That's yet another element of Kisaitz. You leave your comfort zone, you're going to have to deal with difficult people. There's a tired way how to deal with difficult people. There's a tired way to deal with foes and friend alike. Well, that I would suggest is borne out by several other mitzvahs in the parasha, which really capture this idea of finding the humanity in your antagonist. Because we have, for example, where, where an individual who you consider a rasha or despise. We have, for example, a mitzvah in the parasha called Losalim Nivlaso, that if a, a Jew committed a sin for which he's high of Misa, capital punishment, the Torah tells us, don't hang his corpse on the tree overnight. Don't hang him overnight. This would be a disgrace to him. This would be as though to strip him of his cell and to allow the corpse to dangle for all to see high on a tree overnight. That here you have an individual who did a heinous crime, who is doing such things? Think about the person, this murderer, this individual, such individual. And there is a temptation, a vindictive temptation, to say, yes, indeed, as they set out west, wanted, and we're going to find him, right? The, the saloons would, would say, wanted, and we're going to find him, and we're going to hang him high on the tree. Well, the Torah says, we're not pacifists. We need tzedek, we need justice. But we don't lose all sense of humanity to the victim, Right? Let him pay his debt to society, his debt. Let justice be served, but then bury him as a yid. And in the same vein, we have a mitzvah at the end of the parsha called Pen Yosef Lahakoso. Don't overwhip a Russia. You have an individual who's high of Malchus, who's obligated to be whipped, he's a criminal. Don't overwhip him. As Rashi explains, the Pesach calls him your brother. Let him pay his debt of justice, but he's your brother. Don't overdo it. Don't allow the drive for justice to become antagonism, to become wanton retribution, because this is a parasha, in, in line with the larger theme, all about say. It's a parsha of when we leave comfort zones, when we have to deal with imperfect situations and imperfect people, there's a tyrannical way to do it, including finding the humanity in our antagonist in a Russia, allow justice to be served, but have the tyra balance how we go about the situation. There is a final dimension to this Kisei thing. Until now, we interpreted it in very stark terms. Kisei when you leave the pristine, you encounter scandalous situations. But I would suggest a more gentle, less dramatic 
theme of Kiseitzi. When you leave realms of holiness, when you leave Shul in the morning, and you step out onto the street, you deal with mundane life, the realm of Chol. The Torah is Makadeshas not only in holy spaces, Beis HaMekdash or Beis HaKnesis. The Torah is Makadeshas in everyday life. There are mitzvahs that govern mundane situations, as I've heard it said. Picking up a banana peel on the, from the floor so someone doesn't slip is an act of sanctity. Well, let's trace that in our parsha. I think the Torah in our parsha comes to highlight this theme of seemingly mundane situations which actually are opportunities for Kedusha. Because early in our parsha, you have the narrative of Hashava Saveda and Prikantaina. It speaks about you see a lost object return it. It speaks about you or or you see an, you see your friend's animal, or you see a, a yid's animal which is overburdened. Will help him unload and then reload the animal. Well, Tori uses an interesting word here. It speaks about both regarding the lost object and regarding the overloaded animal. Twice, v'hishalamta mehem. You might want to ignore and pretend you don't see it. V'hishalamta mehem, it says regarding the hashavas aveita. And then again, you see up on the board, v'hishalamta mehem regarding the overburdened animal. To me, v'hishalamta, you might want to ignore means. This is not a dramatic situation. This is a far cry from kol nidre yom kippur. This is a situation which is very undramatic that you, could, you might want to choose to ignore it and not recognize that this is a major mitzvah situation, but don't ignore it, right? And then we have the mitzvah of Shiluah HaKan, a nest with, with a mother and a baby bird. You want to take the baby bird, send away the mother. The Torah describes the situation as ki kare, when you chance upon kan sipar, a bird's nest. Notice how following the previous mitzvahs, prika te'ina, the situation where the situations that the Torah said, you might want to ignore, it's undramatic. Now again, it uses language of the undramatic. Ki kare, when you chance upon a nest, you chance upon a situation, it's undramatic. And in a similar vein, you will notice that in this passage several times the Torah uses the words, Baderach, you're on the path. Ki kare kan Baderach, you just happen to be on the path. Or likewise, back in Pasuk Daud, I think it's significant that the Torah consecutively uses the words Baderach in this passage. You're on the path, you're on the road. It's a chanced-upon situation as we traced. Well, no situation is by chance. Mundane situations, everyday Main Street situations, as you walk down the street, you bump into someone, can I help them? Kiseitse, that is, I suggest, another meaning. When you leave, when you leave the pristine, when you leave the holy, it's a Torah which speaks to all, all of life. Picking up a banana peel is an act of sanctity. So this, I would suggest, is a second dimension of the Kiseitse. We have, on one hand, the Kiseitse of leaving safety zones, dealing with scandalous situations, Alpitora, dealing with threats, facing down enemies. And we have the Kiseitse when you leave holiness and you're dealing with the mundane. The scandalous and the mundane alike are two 
circumstances of Kiseitze, and perhaps this connection between the Kiseitzes of encountering sordid circumstances, enemies on one hand, and mundane situations on the other, is perhaps reflected by a textual pattern. Here we had the word baderach. You're just on the path several times appearing in our parsha regarding imperfect situations. Of course, the word baderach is then echoed in the end of the parsha. On your path on the way out of Mitzrayim. Well, I think there's an echo there. I think there's a textual reverberation there. Here we have the discussion about when you're on the derech, whether that derech is you're on the road out of Mitzrayim, you've left civilization, you are in the God-forsaken place and facing an enemy, that's one key say say. The Torah wants us to align that with the innocent by derech. You're on the path and you see a nest. You're on the path and you see your friend's animal, which needs help. All of this is one big theme of Kiseitzi, a Torah that relates to every situation, the mundane, and even the scandalous. No situation is devoid of opportunity for holiness. Which explains yet another focus in the parsha. Rashi notes in his study of a juxtaposition in the parsha. First, the Torah speaks about Shiloh HaKan sending away the mother bird. Then it speaks about if you build a home, you build a beautiful edifice, build a maka, build a fence. And then it speaks about how to go about a vineyard. You plant a vineyard, observe the halachas of a vineyard. You have clothing. Use the, observe the halachas of clothing. Don't wear shotness, put on tzitzis. Urashi says, quoting the Medrash, this is supposed to represent a cycle. First, a person does Shiloh HaKan which is a mitzvah, which doesn't really involve any sort of acquisition, certainly no expenditure. The person observes that mitzvah. Well, here the Torah begins to speak about the individual becomes prosperous. He's building homes. He's planting vineyards. He's tailoring clothing. Says Rashi, this is supposed to represent that there's a certain upwards financial mobility which comes with performance of mitzvahs. From Shiluch HaKan, which is a mitzvah which even a pauper could do on the street, well, you observe mitzvahs, mitzvahs come with certain finan- a certain cycle of financial growth. Hashem will give you more parnasa to enable you to do more mitzvahs. Well, this idea that the Torah is not a Torah of holy asceticism for rarefied environments. The Torah is a Torah to be observed on earth. A Torah, to, a Torah which becomes even more relevant as we become more financially prosperous. And therefore, as one does mitzvahs, he will become more financially successful to enable more mitzvahs because mitzvahs are bred actually from material circumstances. I would suggest that too fits right into the greater theme of our parasha, Kiseitzei. When you leave the rarefied environment, you step out onto the street, you leave Shul and you go to work, that is a consummately holy mitzvah opportunity. The more mitzvahs we do, the, there's this promise of greater wealth to enable more mitzvahs because wealth is not to be despised 
Gashmius is not to be despised. The mundane situations in life are not to be despised. Main Street is, we are not to cloister ourselves from the outside world. Because the entire world, even the, the outside world, the Kisetse world, is contoured as a sacred zone of holiness as long as we observe it al Torah. So what we gave here was a primer of sorts. As you study the parsha, and for that matter, its relationship to the parshas that have come before and after, you will be able to draw all sorts of additional patterns. But I think the work which we did tonight, both in tracing some of these textual patterns and conceptual thematic touch points, develops Kisetse as a very powerful unified parsha. The parsha of Kisetsi, the parsha when you go out. May we all be Zoha Tamarat, to be Erlacha Jews, inspire Jews to find meaning in life, not only in the overtly holy situations, but in mundane life as well. In the life of a Jew, nothing is mundane. Nothing is ultimately mundane. Nothing is devoid of holiness. Even the unwelcomed situations become consummately holy when we conduct ourselves in, this, in those situations. Al-Pitorah, Amen, Kenyi, Hiratzah. Any questions?